Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall, and do you want to more effectively help people make sustainable change? Well, then I strongly encourage you to check out NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course. If you're a positive psychology practitioner, maybe that you wish that you understood how lifestyle can affect well-being and how to help people make sustainable lifestyle change. Well, CWC has got that covered. If you're a fitness professional, maybe you want to learn about coaching skills, how to hold space for someone's internal process instead of always just telling them what to do because we all know that that doesn't work. Well, CWC has got you covered there too. Uh, so if you want to get information about Certified Wellness Coach, you can go over to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, and then if you decide that you're going to take the course, you can get $600 off with the following code. Grab a pen and paper ready. Here we go. Marshall CWC. That's M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. At checkout, we'll get you an additional $600 off on NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course. Okay, now let's get to it. So purely anecdotally, from my own practice, 15 years in the fitness and wellness space, nine out of 10 clients over the course of my career are not eating enough protein. How do I tell you, you might ask? Well, almost every client at the start of our working together during the consultation, I will ask them to do a three-day nutrition recall. So as they're talking, I'm jotting down notes and I'm spitball estimating like, okay, well, how much do you think you had of that? How much do you think you had of that? I'm guessing at the calories and the proteins involved. Now, side note, nutrition research has some major problems. And one of these kind of major problems is that the kind of nutrition recall I'm describing is actually incredibly unreliable. So knowing that, you might ask yourself, well, why not have them do a food diary then? Have them track of like three or four days. But here's the problem. There's an adage that you might have heard that the presence of the observer affects the outcome or to put it another way, the presence of the researcher is gonna affect the experiment. So clients who know that I'm gonna be seeing their food journal start changing their behavior. So the data is already just gonna be inaccurate by the fact that I'm asking them to do a food diet. So they'll think, oh, I'm gonna be good for coach. And this causes two problems. The first thing is that they're working with me because they're not actually sure what to do for good health and well-being and wellness. And I haven't had a chance to teach them anything. So what they think of as like, oh, being good for coach might actually not be a helpful thing. And then two, as soon as I'm not observing them, they're going to revert back to what they were doing before because we didn't actually work on the underlying foundational issues. So the best I can do is a food recall of like, okay, give me three normal days. Let's do some spitball math. And that's going to give me the gist of what that person is doing. So I need to know not what they're like being good looks like, but what their general day-to-day -day looks like. Okay. Anyway, so they're talking, I'm taking notes. I'm spitballing math. I'm like calorie intake and total protein and nine out of 10 clients aren't eating enough calories for their level of activity and they're not getting enough protein. So what's that all mean for them and how does that relate to how we deal with it? So you have a basic amount of energy that your body needs in order to function. And then there's extra energy for all of your activities. So one foundational thing that I want to build with every single client 
is a healthier metabolism. Now you've probably heard that word before, metabolism. And unless you're a trainer, you might not have thought about what that word actually means. So let's break it down a little bit. Metabolism is the culmination of all of the energy that your body makes on any given day. That energy is made in the mitochondria, which you might remember from high school biology is the powerhouse of the cell. Healthy mitochondria make more energy more efficiently and having more mitochondria means that you'll make more energy. So we want healthy mitochondria and we want like a whole bunch of them. And when I say more energy, I mean both literally and subjectively. So literally, you want to be producing more units of energy for your life activities. You want to feel like you can do more and handle more and take on more. Or you want to be able to like lift more, run faster, be more fit. You want longevity. You want productivity. You want patience, right? Those things are more subjective productivity, patience, vitality. That's the feeling that you have energy. So more mitochondria literally makes more units of energy and you feel like you have more energy to handle all the stuff that's coming up in your life. So if you want any of those things, if you want to be stronger, you want a healthier metabolism, you want a healthier body, then you want more mitochondria and you want them to work even harder. So cool. Hopefully we agree on that to start. But I want you to think of it like you're on a road trip, you're driving your car, but you don't put enough gas in the tank. What's going to happen? It's going to sputter and eventually it's going to stall. That's when you're not eating enough calories. The engine stalls because your car can't get more energy from the controlled explosion that we call combustion. And then the car stops. When you're not eating enough, your energy starts to flag, but your body needs to make enough energy in order to keep you alive. So instead of your body stalling, you start ripping up stored energy resources in order to keep you alive. The problem is that people assume that that's going to be fat, but it is actually way more complex and nuanced than that. So one of the things that happens, because of course, it's not that you're not eating at all, is that you're not eating enough, is that your mitochondria start to get damaged. They start to get damaged, they become less efficient, they get pruned off. Like, oh, we're not getting enough resources, so we should probably start dialing back. And it's not a short-term like, oh, my metabolism turned down. It's like, no, you have fewer mitochondria now, and if you don't do something to rebuild more mitochondrial density, you're gonna have a compromised metabolism, and then we see problems down line where you're developing metabolic dysfunction and lifestyle diseases, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. I think we can all agree, we just don't want that. So first, I get my clients to make sure they're eating enough calories, like they are just eating enough at all and they're doing it consistently. And the second, that is not just any old calories. Because like I said, nine out of 10 clients are not eating enough consistently and they're not eating enough protein. And to be honest, protein might be like 9.99 out of 10 clients over the course of my career. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall, and I'm asking you this question. Are you eating enough protein? So let's talk about what protein actually is. 
protein is considered one of three macronutrients, the other ones being carbohydrates and fats. And you've probably seen somebody on the internet in the last few years say something about like their macros. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about protein, carbs, fats. Let's dive a little deeper into protein because I'm a nerd and I think this is really fun. According to Wikipedia, the word protein is derived from the Greek word, and I don't speak Greek, so apologies in advance, proteios, which means primary, in the lead, or standing in the front. And that's kind of cool because a lot of nutrition researchers actually would say that protein is one of the, uh, is the, mac the only macronutrient that you have to eat every day in order to maintain like metabolic function. But we're going to get to why about that in a second. I just think it's interesting that the word it's based in means the thing that is our current understanding. So it was first described in modern science by a Dutch chemist named, again, I don't speak Dutch, Gerodus Johannes Mulder. I have an X-Files fan, so I'll go with that one. Um, and it was named by a Swedish chemist, Jans Jakob Berzelius, I apologize, in 1838. But again, like, I'm a nerd. This is super cool. Going as far back as ancient Rome, Pliny the Elder described egg whites and milk and other substances that were protein, and he even related them to the structures of muscle and skin and blood. So Pliny the Elder back in ancient Rome had a sense that there was something going on, this relationship between the structures in our bodies and certain compounds and what we were eating. So proteins are biomolecules that are made up of amino acids. So when you ingest proteins, your digestive system breaks down what you've eaten into these compounds called amino acids. You might've heard the phrase essential amino acids. Those are the protein molecules that you have to eat because our bodies cannot make them on our own, right? So there's some non-essential aminos that our body could generate if it had to, but essential aminos have to be ingested. And that's why amino acids are really important to get in our diet. And this is what we use them for. We use them to build structures in the body. So hair, skin, nails, and then systems like your immune system and your digestive system, the actual cellular structures that make them up. Yeah, they're built out of protein, out of our essential aminos. But it's not just structures. It's also neurotransmitters, which is like brain chemicals and hormones. And it really drive this home because I know this show has a great variety of ages, but uh, hormones doesn't just mean things like insulin. It also means things like metabolic hormones, but also sexual hormones, fertility hormones. As a 40 year old woman, I'm just saying, like if you wanna be hormonally healthy in a great variety of ways, protein is a core part of that. And another big one, is that growing and repairing body tissues. So if you're healing from an injury, you're fighting an illness, anything along those lines, you're going to need the protein in order to rebuild and repair the structures. Or it's just a normal day-to-day -day wear and tear or recovery in the gym. The big, big one, if you want to build muscles, you want to build metabolism, you have to have enough protein on board because you need the amino acid pool in order to build the structures. Another thing you might not realize is that proteins themselves can actually be an energy source. So like side note for anybody who's still on the carb hate train, which I hope you're off of, but in case you still are, when you don't eat enough carbohydrates, it's not magically fat that you're burning. 
you start ripping up first you use your stored amino acid pool to generate carbohydrate compounds if you overeat protein again you're just going to start converting them into carbohydrates but if you're still like under eating protein and you're not having any carbs what you actually start doing is using up stored aminos and then ripping up muscle and damaging mitochondria which messes with metabolism and none of that is good so regardless of what you want for yourself, whatever your motivations are, you want to get enough protein on board. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what things have protein, but honestly, you could just go Google it and you're going to get a whole list of information. But just quick rundown. We're talking about meat, fish, poultry, eggs. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that animal-based sources of protein are very resource intense on our planet. So unless you are getting your protein, your animal-based proteins locally, you want to have some plant-based sources is a good idea. So that's things like beans, lentils, soy-based things like tofu or edamame, chickpeas. This is actually a big favorite in my house. So chickpea pasta is a real easy way to get extra protein in my diet and have it be plant-based. And I still get to like eat things that are essentially a pasta dish, right? But it's a high protein pasta, big flan. And of course there's supplementation, right? You can use powders and bars and any other some such nonsense to supplement extra protein. Okay, all of that brings us to the question of the day. Are you getting enough protein and how can we tell? So part of the trouble with the guidelines is that there's a whole bunch of debate and it involves a bunch of weird math. <laughs> and that involves knowing your weight and the amount of protein in your food and weighing stuff. And like, it's a lot of stuff that contributes to the problem of are you getting enough protein? So some listeners to the show might think that diving into like calorie counting and protein counting and all of that is misaligned with an intuitive eating or a weight neutral approach. And other people are just going to find like listening to me talk a ton about math, like really tedious and boring. So we're not going to do that. I'm going to talk a little bit about math. And then I'm also going to run down multiple ways to approach the protein thing. So that if you are someone who uh, has some concerns around the whole calorie conversation, there are solutions for you. It's not just going to be like a calorie counting rant. Okay, deal. So the recommended daily allowance which is on your nutritional labels, on your food, it's going to be labeled as RDA. The RDA for protein is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. But we're Americans, so a good chunk of you don't even know what your body weight in kilograms is. And you could go off and Google it and convert it and then multiply that by 0.8 and you get a number in grams because grams is how we measure protein. Okay. If you do, what I want you to know is that recommended daily allowance of 0.8 gram, grams per kilogram of body weight per day, huh, um, it's actually a floor. People think of that as like, okay, here's my target, but actually it's the floor of a range. And the reason it's a floor is that the RDA guidelines, the recommended daily allowance guidelines, were based on studies that measured essential amino acid pools and found that there was a below line where you started getting diminishing returns, right? If you're not eating above that line, your amino acid reserve is tapering down and eventually you're gonna have a nutritional deficiency if you're eating too little. So that RDA of 0.8 kilograms per, no, 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight 
per day, um, is where you need to not be nutritionally deficient as a sedentary person. And of course, we want you to be active people because that's part of being well. So we don't want to just be at the floor. We want to flourish. We want to build muscle. We want to build the strongest metabolism possible so that you have the resilience and the capacity to handle whatever the world is going to throw at you and go out and hunt down and achieve all of your goals. Right. So if not getting enough calories is like running the car without gasoline, not getting enough protein is running the car without oil. The car will run, but if you do it long enough, the engine's going to get damaged and then eventually will seize up and be dysfunctional. So we got to put oil in the car and we got to make sure we put enough good quality oil. You're listening to Better Than Fine Podcast. I'm really Marshall and we're asking, are you getting enough protein? We laid this foundation. Let's bring her home. So generally nutritionists and fitness professionals will agree that there is a point of diminishing returns in protein intake, right? That you're eating so much that your body can't really absorb anymore and it's not helpful. Now, physicians will tell us that there's a point where it would start to damage your kidneys. The trick here is there is actually no research showing us where that line is for somebody who doesn't have kidney disease. So if your kidneys work fine, we don't know where the ceiling is of how much protein is actually harmful. But one thing that is clear to me from experience is that it is a lot harder to get a lot of protein in for most people than they realize. <laughs> like it makes you feel sick before we get to the point where it would actually damage your kidneys. Like your body is going to tell you, hey, I don't like that. Uh, I've encountered a few clients who were like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do whatever happened you ask me. And then they go off and they, they cry. They try to do it. They discover just how little protein they were actually getting. Like, oh, they were only getting 20 grams a day. And I asked them to get like 100 grams. And woof, that was a lot for them. But how much is a lot for you? How do you know what you need? And for starters, that depends on your goals. It depends on your physiology, your tolerance, your gut. It depends on your lifestyles, your values, your beliefs. And any great coach is going to tell you, you are actually the expert on you. Only you're going to know what's going to work in your lifestyle. And then you're going to discover what's going to work for your body. And when you're getting enough protein, you will be sick less often because your immune system needs protein. You'll sleep better because you'll have more satiety and you'll be repairing better. You'll recover faster from your workouts and activities. You're going to put on more lean muscle. You're going to be less sore. So we want this. Now, and there are trainers and athletes out there who are getting like three, four grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. That is a lot of protein. But do you need to? Well, it can get really uncomfortable on that upper edge. There's gas, there's bloating, there's cramping. Uh, personally, you know, when I was prepping for my wedding, I hired a trainer that I knew through my networks and she was uh, like a bodybuilding coach. And so I thought like, okay, okay, this is going to be the thing. Finally going to like level it up in a way I never have before. And she had me on the highest protein diet I've ever been on. And it took a lot of supplementation in order for me to get there. And that resulted in some incredibly uncomfortable digestive issues. Uh, 
I will, I will spare us all the details, but I told myself at the time, oh, this is worth it. But at the end of the day, I actually didn't get results that I couldn't have gotten using any of the other protocols that I've done in the past. And that would have been a far more reasonable solution, um, which is to say, I would not do it that way again. Uh, I would have listened to my body because it was telling me that something was wrong. So studies have shown that there is such a thing as too much protein in a single sitting. So depending on your metabolism, your muscle mass, your activity level, your genetics, you can't absorb more than 30, 40 grams at a given meal. So you're not just using it, you're just expelling it as waste. So we know we need to get more than 0.8 grams of kilogram per body weight. There's not a clear ceiling. What do we do? So this is what I do with new clients. If you're a new client, I will first confirm you're having protein at every single meal. And most of the time, my clients are not. And if they are, it's often not enough. And I'll give you a nice concrete example here. A very common thought that I hear from people when they're doing that recall, and I'll say, look, okay, so I'm seeing like you're not getting protein every time you eat and be like, oh, well, you know, like sometimes at breakfast, I'll have, I'll have an egg. Now, depending on the size of the egg, it's probably about seven grams of protein. Have that much protein at every meal and you're only getting 21 grams, which is not even close to enough. So what I ask those clients to do is get 20 grams of protein at every meal to start and let's see how you feel. And like 95% of the time, they tell me that they feel a lot better, more steady energy, fewer cravings, more satisfied, better workouts. You get the idea. We've talked about that a lot. Okay. So right there, that's getting most people close to the 0.8 grams per kilograms of body weight per day, the, or the RDA, right? The recommended daily allowance. So baseline is set, but we've established baseline is not good enough. We want muscle. We want metabolism. We want to go off and like kick some butt. So the math that I actually do with my clients next is like really complex and boring to, to describe on a podcast. So if you want me to walk you through it, um, reach out through my website. I'm happy to like teach you it yourself. Like we'll just book a call and we'll do it. Um, but for the rest of you who don't need like nuanced, complicated, specific math, I suggest you do one of two things. The first one, if you like math, take your weight. Now, every other time I have mentioned weight in this episode, I have talked about kilograms but I'm doing some of the math for you ahead of time. So you're going to take your weight in pounds and multiply it by 0.7, which yes, it's different than the 0.8 thing I've been talking about this whole time. But like I said, I backloaded some of the conversion of kilograms to pounds for you and I'm giving you like a sticking point. So take your weight in pounds, multiply it by 0.7. That's how many grams of protein you wanna get a day. Then you got to worry about tracking that. And this is, like I said, this is the technique for people who like math. If you, let me give you an example here. So the average North American adult weighs 180 pounds. We multiply that by 0.7. That's 126 grams of protein. So you take that number, your number version of that, try for that and see how you feel. You can always add more. You can always trim back. I see some coaches that I trust recommending one gram of body weight, of pound, one gram per pound of body weight per day. For me, that feels like a lot in my body. So I don't use that. I listen to my gut telling me like, oh, hey, hey, you're, you're overkill. 
So that's the, if you like math method, if you do not like math or tracking your protein is a thing that you're just not going to do because it's not good for some aspect of your well-being. Option number two, you're going to use the palm size method. So we've all got a palm. Uh, the nice thing about the palm size method is bigger people tend to have bigger palms. So it automatically scales your protein. So what you're going to do Every time you eat, try to get a minimum of one palm size of protein of your palm. I like this method. It self-adjusts. Your hand goes with you everywhere. It's easy. Or if you're a smaller person, it's a smaller portion, right? Works out. And then if you're looking to build metabolism and muscle, once you've got your palm size consistently, then you might try for one and a half or even two. And if you're older, you might want to start off shooting for one and a half to begin with, because as we age, we absorb protein less and less efficiently, meaning we have to eat more of it if we want to get it in the tank. So there's one other thing that I suggest as we're wrapping up this conclusion that, yeah, you probably aren't getting enough protein. And I strongly suggest you reconsider how you're structuring your meals and get the protein in the tank because you need it if you want health and longevity and vitality and energy. The other thing I suggest as you are climbing up your protein is that you make sure to get enough fiber in your diet. And you can get that through fiber-rich plant-based foods. You might do it through supplementation. But I found that I really struggled with getting enough fiber in my diet through just plants and I ended up supplementing with a uh, psyllium husk fiber powder. But there's lots of options out there. Um, because ramping up protein very quickly can challenge your gut microbiome and that can be uncomfortable. So the fiber helps to move things along. It helps to feed your good gut bacteria and it offsets some of that unpleasant gut stuff that I alluded to earlier. And we know that a fiber rich diet actually helps with some like colorectal health issues down the line. So win, 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 win all around. Try to add some fiber in as you're upping up the protein, please. So chances are you're probably not eating enough protein, but hopefully after listening to this episode at minimum, you're going to start getting in some more. We would love to hear your feedback, your questions, your episode suggestions, and you can do that by emailing info at darlene.coach. You can find me on Instagram, darlene.coach. I'm on LinkedIn, or you can check out our Substack. It's better than fine.substack.com. If you're a fan of the show, I hope you've subscribed. And if you haven't, go ahead and do it now. Thank you to everyone who's been writing us a review. If you share it, tag me. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Take care and be well.